0: Chuck Sackett, a pastor in, Lincoln. however, he was a Boy Scout, and when he heard about the God and Country Award, he decided that he wanted it badly enough that he would start attending a small church down the street. Every Sunday, on his way to church, Chuck would walk by the home of the Rennards, a couple for whom he did lawn work. Um, Chuck attended the church just long enough to earn the award, and then he promptly dropped out. Later in his 20s, after Chuck became a Christ follower and also a pastor, he paid a visit along with his wife to the Rinnards. That's okay. She's just voicing her, her, her enthusiasm for the Lord. <laughs> praise, and praise God. Chuck decided that, uh, along with his wife, that he would pay the Rennards a visit in a nursing home because he had heard that they were in a nursing home. Um, He went to the nursing home and had a delightful visit with the Rennards. And as he and his wife were turning to leave, the Rennards said something to Chuck that he says he will never forget. They said to him, Chuck, do you remember when you used to go to that little church down the street? He said, yes. They said, we have not missed one day since praying that God would do something in your life. Chuck knew in that moment the Reynards had prayed him into the kingdom. There was no other explanation for it. The Renards were persistent in prayer. I have a question for you and for me. How persistent are you and I in prayer? When we pray and don't receive an answer, do we persist or do we give up? Do we quit? Jesus only taught two parables on the subject of prayer. Both of them deal with being persistent in prayer. Now, if you're like me, I like to ask questions and one question that comes to my mind is, why is persistence in prayer so important? It's because of this. It's because our persistence or lack of persistence in, in prayer can impact the very course of history. This morning, we're going to examine one of Jesus' two parables on prayer. It's the one found in Luke 18, to 8 the passage that we just heard read. But before we do, I want us to do something. I want us just to simply pray and ask that God would grant us spiritual understanding as we, read, as we explore this parable. Would you pray with me again? Father, we ask that today that you would grant each one of us eyes that see and ears that hear. Thank you that you have given us the gift, the precious gift of your Holy Spirit to reveal to us, to help us understand all that Jesus has said. We thank you for your presence. We acknowledge your presence. We welcome your presence among us. Help us to hear, and see today. We ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You might be wondering, well, Kent, what are you doing? Picking up this towel and putting it around my neck. Well, I'm doing so as a visual reminder of uh, my, my sermon and of this parable today. The title of my message is, Don't throw in the towel. Does anybody know what sport the phrase throwing in the towel comes from? What's that? Boxing. Boxing. Exactly right. It comes from the sport of boxing. And when a boxer realizes that he's done, he's had it, he's whooped, uh, the boxer's trainer takes the towel, hello, hello, and throws it into the ring as a signal that the boxer is acknowledging defeat and it's time to terminate the match got a question for you actually several questions for you have you ever felt like throwing in the towel on prayer have you ever uh, felt like your prayers weren't being heard have you ever wondered if your prayers really make any difference? I don't know about you, but I'm three for three at this point. Have you ever considered giving up or even stopped praying for a loved one or a friend to follow Jesus? Have you given up praying for a dream to materialize you believe God placed within your heart? Have you been victimized or robbed of justice in some arena of your life without it being rectified? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, then Jesus' parable is especially for you today. Our parable's known by two different names. Some people call this parable the parable of the persistent widow. Others call it the parable of the unjust judge. But I've given it a different title. I like to call it the parable of not throwing in the towel. There are two characters in the parable. The first is a judge. Jesus tells us two things about him. Number one, he didn't fear God. This indicates that he wasn't a man of faith, or if he believed in God, his belief was not transformational. It was only head knowledge. It's very likely that uh, he was a Gentile. He could have been a Roman or a Greek and stated in his position by the Romans, as is the case in many places in the world today, It was a common practice for these civil magistrates to withhold a judicial decision or verdict until they received samula, until they received a monetary bribe. The second thing Jesus tells us is that the judge didn't care about or respect people. In fact, if you have the NIV, the phrase which it uses, which reads, he didn't care what people thought of him, doesn't really do the Greek word justice in this verse. The word means to lack regard or respect for. The judge was charged to protect and uphold the rights of others. However, this judge failed to do that. He looked out only for himself. The second person in the parable is a widow. Jesus tells us several things about her as well. She lived in the same town as the judge. She made regular recurrent appearances in the judge's court. And her request was that the judge grant her justice in the dispute with her adversary. Jesus doesn't tell us how the woman had been wronged or cheated, but it's obvious the judge had taken the side of her opponent and was withholding the justice that was rightfully hers. Perhaps the judge had received a monetary bribe from her adversary. Remember, we know he was looking out only for his own interest. We can assume the widow didn't have money for lawyers, but she did have something else. Persistence. On a regular basis, she showed up in the judge's courtroom to plead for justice. She was a squeaky wheel demanding grease. She she refused to give up. She refused to throw in the towel. Jesus tells us that eventually the judge chose to grant her request. Not because he believed he was morally obligated to do so, but rather because he could no longer endure her persistent pleas. Jesus told parables to teach spiritual truths or lessons. Remember, I told you I like to ask questions. So what truths was he attempting to teach his disciples and us through this parable? Well, the first truth is obvious. The writer of this book in the Bible, Dr. Luke, tells us the meaning straightforwardly in verse one. We read earlier, he, Jesus, then told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. Jesus uses the example of the widow to teach us that we should persist in prayer, that we shouldn't quit. We should not allow discouragement or unanswered prayers to cause us to throw in the towel. Why is this so important? It's because prayer unleashes the power of God on earth. I want to say that again. Prayer unleashes the power of God on earth. All through the Bible, we read of God's power being unleashed through the prayers of believing men and women. Moses interceded for the Israelites when God planned to destroy them for their unfaithfulness. God's forgiveness was unleashed, and he relented. Hannah prayed for a child for years before God opened her womb to conceive a son, Samuel, the prophet. Elijah prayed for the resurrection of a widow's boy and for fire to fall from heaven to consume the sacrifice on Mount Carmel in a showdown with the prophets of Baal. God's power was unleashed in both instances. Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened to see the angelic forces that surrounded and protected them as they faced an enemy army. God answered yes to his prayer. Solomon prayed for wisdom and God granted wisdom that amazed rulers to the corners of the earth. Hezekiah prayed for divine deliverance from an invading Assyrian army and God's power was unleashed as the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers In one night, throughout the book of Acts, we see God's power being unleashed in response to prayer. In Acts 4, we read that the disciples prayed for boldness and power. God's power was unleashed, and they turned their world upside down. In Acts 12, we read that the church was making earnest prayer to God for Peter, who had been thrown into prison for preaching about Jesus. God unleashed his power and sent an angel to get him out, though he was sleeping between two prison guards. In Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas were praying and praising in prison. And God sent an earthquake that resulted in their freedom and the salvation of the Philippian jailer and his family. In Acts 27, we read that Paul prayed that God would see safely to shore everyone on board his boat, caught in a 14-day Mediterranean storm. God's power was unleashed and not one person on board perished despite the ferocious storm and terrible shipwreck. These are only some of the people in the Bible that experience God's power manifested through prayer. God can do anything, but in his infinite wisdom, he's chosen to partially self-limit the display of his power and often to make its unleashing contingent upon the prayers of his people. God has chosen to often release his power in response to the prayers of believers like you and me. That's why it's so important that you and I don't throw in the towel on prayer. Sometimes we don't see God's power unleashed in answers because we throw the towel in the ring before the fight even starts. We fail to pray at all. The late Billy Graham said, and I quote, Heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. Let me say that again. Heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. This is exactly what the Apostle James states when he tells us in James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. God's answer is ready. It's just waiting for our personal and persistent request. Sometimes we don't see answers because we fail to pray. At other times, we fail to receive answers because we quit praying before the answer arrives. We don't persist. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible are we instructed to pray for something once and then stop? Nowhere in the Bible are we told that praying repeatedly for the same request demonstrates a lack of faith. Even when the Apostle Paul received a no answer about his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, he still prayed three times. He only stopped praying when he was confident that God was specifically and particularly responding to his prayer with a no. In his sovereign wisdom, God does sometimes respond to us with a no, just like he did with Jesus in the garden. In those times, he asks us to trust him as a loving heavenly father who sees a much bigger picture than we can. The prophet Daniel is someone else who can teach us about persistent prayer. You likely know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, but did you know that Daniel once prayed for 21 days before receiving an answer? We read about it in Daniel 10. We learn that God answered Daniel's prayer as soon as the word left his lips. But spiritual demonic forces prevented the answer from arriving Until the 21st day. Let me ask you something. What if Daniel had stopped praying. On the second. Day. Or on the 8th day. Or on the 15th day. Or on the 20th day. The answer God supplied. May have never arrived. If Daniel prayed persistently for 21 days. Could. Would. You and I pray consistently for 21 days, for 21 months, for 21 years. Jesus taught his followers to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know that God's will is not always done on earth? If God's will was always done upon earth, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray would make no sense. God's will being done on earth is sometimes contingent upon you and I praying and choosing to not throw in the towel. Despite Doris Day's famous song, sera, sera, you can laugh. The world does not operate on the maxim, whatever will be, will be. Most of you millennials that are in the room have no idea what I'm talking about or what I'm singing about. But I know you've heard similar phrases like, if it's meant to be, it will happen. If it's not, it won't. It's the same belief. That is fatalistic theology, and it's not biblical. God has invited you and me to be change agents, to be future shapers, to be kingdom bringers in our world. And one of the primary ways this happens is through prayer. The prayer of faith unleashes the power of God upon this earth in the lives of people. God promises in his word, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, and what? And pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God's promise of divine power and action in this verse is conditional. It's contingent upon the prayers of his children. Well, what is Jesus not saying through this parable? He is not telling us that God is reluctant to grant our request and that we have to twist his arm or pressure him to act. While both the magistrate and God are in places of authority, the magistrate shows partiality in judgment and is completely uncaring. While God judges Uprightly and cares deeply about us. The comparison Jesus is making is not a, between the magistrate and God, is not a A is like B comparison. Instead, Jesus is saying, if the human judge, who didn't fear God or care about people, was willing to grant justice to the widow in response to her persistent prayers, how much more? Will your heavenly Father, who loves you and is the impartial and perfect holy judge, answer the righteous prayers of his children? And he will answer swiftly. You say, but Kent, does God always answer prayers swiftly? Does he always answer prayers quickly? Did the judge answer the widow quickly? Not in the sense of the time it took to grant her request. But when the decision was made, the answer from the judge was swift. He said, yes, I grant your request, and it was done. God's timing often does not sync with our preferred timing of response. Have you ever experienced that reality? I have. God is bringing about his purposes in the lives of people all around the world. And sometimes his response to us is, wait, or not yet. To allow his purposes and plans to be accomplished in us and in others. Let me give you an example of this from scripture. In Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we read this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had been maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. In response to the prayers of Christian martyrs, God indicates in this passage that he will surely serve justice on those who killed them. But he tells them that the dispensation of that justice will be in the future. If God dispensed justice right now in every situation and answered every righteous prayer immediately, it would prevent his purposes and plans from being fulfilled in others. The tapestry that he is wonderfully weaving through the interactions and intersections of our lives would not be completed. Part of our challenge is our perspective on time. Our limited perspective. We understand and see time so differently than God does. God is not bound by time. He existed before time began, and he will continue to exist after time ends. The Bible says that to God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. What sometimes seems terribly slow to us from our limited human perspective is not slow at all in the scope of eternity God will respond to the cries of his children. And when he does, that response will come quickly. So Jesus urges us in this parable to keep praying and to not throw in the towel. When we persist in prayer, our prayers unleash the power of God upon earth. In addition to these truths, the parable has one additional lesson. The context of this parable is Jesus talking about his return. In verse 8, at the end of the parable, he asks a question. He says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find that faith on earth? When he says that faith, what is he referring to? He's referring to the kind of faith demonstrated by the widow through persistent prayer notice too that jesus doesn't say if the son of man returns if the son of man comes he says when the son of man comes jesus is reminding us here that he is coming back to earth again but he won't be coming as a baby the next time no he will be riding a white war horse from heaven His eyes will be like blazing fire. On his head will be many crowns. He will be dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And out of his mouth will come a two-edged sword. For he will come as judge and victorious warrior. On his robe and on his thigh a name will be written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He asks if he will find faith when he returns. Will Jesus find faith in you and in me? Will he find us confessing him as Lord? Will he find us obeying and following him? Will he find us loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will he find us seeking first his kingdom? Will he find us being persistent in prayer? Or will he find you and me? Having thrown in the towel. Some of you here today have uh, already thrown in the towel. You've given up on prayer. Perhaps you're even contemplating giving up on God himself. You know, in the fight called life the match is not over until you die and until then throwing in the towel is reversible you can pick it up again you might have lost a round or two or more you might have even been sent reeling to the mat but the fight is not over God is not angry at you He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. And he's inviting you today to pick up the towel again. Others of you here may have not consciously thought about throwing in the towel, but if you are really honest, you are so discouraged that you really might as well not be in the ring. You're not praying prayers with unction or with persistence because you've lost heart. Jesus comes to you today and like the most skilled boxing trainer, he's, He's wiping your brow. And He's refreshing you with your towel. He's speaking words of encouragement to you, reminding you that He is with you and that He will never forsake you. He's reminding you that if you persevere, you will be rewarded. He's renewing your passion. A few of you here today uh, have never uh, picked up your uh, spiritual boxing gloves, much less your towel. You've never submitted yourself to the trainer's tutelage. Did you know that your trainer, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And that He rose again from the dead three days later so that the evil inside of you called sin could be defeated. He's inviting you today to submit to Him. Your spiritual boxing career begins when you choose to release control of your life totally to the trainer, to Jesus. But that's not all. If you choose to do that, the trainer comes to live inside of you. And your trainer, Jesus, is the heavyweight champion of the universe. By his spirit, he comes to live inside of you and me and to give us wisdom and strength to be able to fight the battles of life that are very real and to be able to fight for his kingdom. No, Spiritual boxing is not easy. It's hard work. But it's what you and I were created to do. And it's what will bring you lasting fulfillment. Jesus is inviting you today to begin a relationship, a learning relationship with him that will last forever. How will you respond to his invitation? I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God is speaking to each one of us in this room today, including me. And because of that, I believe this is a very holy moment. I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads, and if you want, you can close your eyes just to help you focus. And I'm going to invite you along with me in the silence to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you right now. Let's do that. continue to wait in silence before the Lord. I want to encourage and invite you that whatever the Spirit of God is saying to you today, that you would just simply say, yes, Lord, you'd simply say yes to him. I encourage you to do that right now along with me. We thank you for the reminder of your words to your disciples, to us. Your invitation not to become discouraged and to quit, but to persist in prayer. And by doing that, to be a part of working together alongside you in your plan to bring renewal, to bring mercy and grace, to bring forgiveness to bring life to us and to the world around us. Thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom work. And thank you that we get to be a part of it through prayer. Help us today not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers, people who will take you at your word and who will live it out in our life. Help us to do that today and this week, and each and every day that we walk upon this earth. For we ask it in the mighty and the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Before our uh, worship team comes to uh, lead us in our closing song, I just uh, wanted to share a couple of impressions that I had with you as I was preparing for the message today today. Um, as I was, uh, last night, as I was preparing for today, um, God gave me an impression for some people in the first service and, and he's also given me an impression, impression, a couple of impressions today. I want you to know that I don't know yet if God's going to call me to be your, uh, um, senior pastor here at Hawkwood or not, um, Obviously, I think that's a possibility, or it wouldn't have come this far in in, in the process. But uh, I don't know the answer to that yet, and we're going to be partnering together, both you as a church family and also me and Elaine, um, over the next few days, continuing to try to discern that. But whether or not God calls me to be your senior pastor, I don't believe the message that he put on my heart, this parable, is by chance today. I believe that God is issuing you an invitation here at Hawkwood Baptist Church to be people, men and women, young people, children of prayer like you have never been before. God wants his kingdom to come in you and also through you. And that will not happen apart from people choosing to pray, and to persist in prayer. As I was thinking about this, um, I particularly, as I thought about the second service, and I don't know, I wasn't sure who would all be here, but um, the young people in this church came to my my mind, those who are in junior high and high school. And I want to let you know that I believe that this invitation is as much, if not more so, for you today than it is for anybody else here. God wants to use you as change agents in your schools, in your homes, with your friends. And he wants you to to use you as change agents in your church. Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look look down on your youth. You are not a second class part of this family. You are a vital and important part and God wants to work with you. And part of that may be dependent upon how you respond as youth to God's invitation to you to dig into him through prayer and to be persistent in prayer. And even though I know they've already left, I also sense for the children in this church, God is placing and wants to increase the anointing upon the lives of the children who are are in this church. And I want to encourage you as, as adults to do all you can to pour into their lives and to pray for them. Give them opportunities to serve. Expect to see God working through them through prayer. You have prayer ministry times? Go and get some of your kids. They will pray with a purity and with faith that some of us adults really struggle to muster. So the invitation is yours, I believe, from the Lord. He has so much for you. How will you respond? The Lord bless you. Thank you so much.